Good morning. I'm glad to be with you after Easter. We're going to be back in Luke today. We've been in other passages for three weeks, including Palm Sunday and Easter. I want to warn you, it's a very uh, long passage today, so I'll say more about that in a minute. Uh, but before I begin, I know that you're just waiting on me to tell some stories about Egypt, because I, I talked a lot about it before I went, So, or maybe you're not, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So anyway... <laughs> But I do have a very short slideshow. Actually, I do have a couple of pictures I do want to show you. Because one of the things I said, I was very excited to go to the pyramids. So here I am at the pyramids, and you can see that I am excited. This is the Great Pyramid. I'm very excited to be there. And not only did I get to go there, I got to ride a camel. And my camel wouldn't mind him put his head up. I wanted him to put his head up, but he wouldn't for the picture. But this is what you pay me for, right? To go ride a camel at the pyramids. And over Palm Sunday and Easter, we were uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Here, we got to go to Alexandria, and this is actually the Church of St. Mark. So about 30 years after Christ had died and resurrected, uh, the Apostle Mark went to Alexandria, and there uh, he started a church. This church, uh, the tradition states that this church was built on the same site where Mark built the first church uh, in Egypt, which is remarkable. And so, if the bishop uh, of all the Coptic church of Egypt comes to town, to Alexandria, to St. Mark's church, he would sit in this seat. You can sit there. Now, I, I thought if, if the campaign goes well, we could build a chair like this for Jerry. What do you think? <laughs> Maybe not too soon? Jerry says no. No, no chair like this for Jerry. But if this was the senior pastor's chair, he's the... <laughs> That's the associate pastor's chair. That's the senior pastor chair, associate pastor's chair. It's like, that, it's like that little white plastic chair you have in your garage. Yes, that, that was actually there. I didn't put that there. So, All right. Let's get back on track. All right, here we go. So we're back in Luke, Luke 8, 22 through 56. In this passage, it's a long passage, there are four stories. Because it's long, you can listen carefully and see if you can follow along and hear where the four stories are. So let's read Luke 8, 22 through 56. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And waking up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And then he said to them, this is to his disciples, where is your faith? They were terrified and amazed and said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him? Then they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on shore, a man from the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had not worn any clothes. He did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of this man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. 
Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd stampeded down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then the whole throng of people of the surrounding region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and began pleading with him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed the power had gone out from me. When the woman realized she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately, immediately healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was weeping and grieving for her, but he said, Do not cry, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called out, Child, get up! Her spirit returned, and she stood up at once, and he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray together. Lord, today on this Sunday, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So while this is a long passage, it is really uh, four stories. I don't know if you were uh, listening carefully, but a couple of times I said now and kind of paused. That was kind of the part, uh, a start of a, of a new part. But I want to give you a little reminder here because, again, it was long. So let's check it out. Here's the four stories. There's four similar stories in Luke 8. They have, uh, as we said, some similarities. First of all, all the people are in trouble in some way. 
they all call out to Jesus in one way or another, and I'll, I'll review these in just a moment. Jesus meets their needs, and I think what we might take away, too, is that we can have faith as they did. Now, some of them may not have had faith going in, calling out to Jesus, but they had enough faith to ask him, and we can have faith as they did, too. Now, this sounds simple and, and similar stories, but I think not so fast. There are some differences and nuances as well. So let's take a little review and let's look at some of the differences as well. In story one, we see the disciples going across the lake, and I like geography, and so the Sea of Galilee, sea of Galilee is not really an ocean or a sea, it's, it's a big lake. And they're on the west side called Galilee, the region of Galilee, and they're traveling across to the east side to the region of the Gerasenes, which we'll get to in a minute. The disciples are in the boat. Maybe they're thinking, hey, it's a, it's a fun day, a good day for a boat ride with Jesus. Jesus gets on the boat. He falls asleep. And then things change. A big storm hits as it can on Galilee. And the disciples say, master, master, we are going to drown or we are perishing. Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves. They obey him. All is calm. And he says to the disciples, where is your faith? So they finish crossing the sea, and when they get to the east side, we see story number two. So this is a region where Gentiles lived, again, on the east side of the lake. It says the region of the Gerasenes. And so Jesus and the disciples get off the boat, and they're met there by this demon-possessed man. There's a lot of description about him. He was living in tombs. He he was chained at times, but had broken the bonds or the chains, and he kind of calls out to them, it says, in a very loud voice. So the disciples have to be thinking, you know, what's next? We almost drown in the Sea of Galilee, and now this crazy demon-possessed man is yelling at us. Maybe we might be better just to get back on the boat. But Jesus takes control, and he talks to the man. And the man says to him, what do you want with me, Jesus? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, we might say it's not necessarily a prayer, but it is someone calling out to Jesus. So again, in all four stories, someone calls out to Jesus. He says, I beg you, don't torture me. The demons beg Jesus not to go into the abyss, but instead they beg to go into pigs. There's a herd of pigs there, which lets us know that this is a region of Gentiles. Jews would not be around pigs. And so on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, this is a Gentile region. Then the pigs run down the steep hill by the Sea of Galilee into the lake and drown. The people in town hear about it and they come out and they are afraid at this power that Jesus has shown. The man asked Jesus to go with him, to travel with him, but instead Jesus says, go and tell people in the local town what God had done for him. So the man does come and, and in a sense, worship and want to learn from Jesus. So next are stories three and four, which are intertwined together. I think it's a good piece of storytelling from Luke here. First is a father and a daughter. The dad comes to Jesus. Now, Jesus had returned back. It says he returned. What it means is... They got back in the boat. They returned back from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, this region of the Gentiles, back to the west where Jewish people live. And we know this because this dad who comes is a ruler of the synagogue. He's a prominent man in town. He's probably wealthy. He's well-respected. But he's not afraid to fall down in front of Jesus. He comes to Jesus, said he falls at Jesus' feet. Why would he do this? 
because the word is out that there's a man in town in their region who can heal people, this man who is doing miracles. So this prominent man, respected man in town comes and falls at Jesus' feet because his daughter, about age 12, is dying. I think we could put ourselves in his shoes and probably be willing to fall at Jesus' feet as well. Then we kind of switch into story four where Jesus is walking and he says the crowds are crushing. I think it's a good description from Luke. Imagine being in a situation, maybe at a concert or a sporting event where you feel like the crowds are crushing in on you. And yet Jesus is interrupted by a lady who is sick and needs help. Now she doesn't really want to interrupt, so apparently she kind of sneaks up close to him, close enough to touch his cloak or his robe. But he feels, and it says, interestingly enough, he feels the power go out from him as this woman is actually healed. And he says, who touched me? The woman, trembling, comes and falls at his feet. And I think it's interesting, this woman comes and falls at his feet. And we read in the scripture that she was poor now because she had been sick for 12 years and she had spent all the money she had had on trying to get well. And because she is bleeding, if you, if you had blood, you could not worship in the synagogue. So most likely... She had not been to go to her own church or synagogue to worship for many, many years. So not only is she sick, she's not able to worship with her people, but she comes and secretly touches his robe, but he finds out. He says, who touched me? The woman trembling comes and falls at his feet, the same thing that the man did. And she says she's been bleeding, which makes her unclean. And she told why she had come, and Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And so she goes and she's healed. Immediately, someone comes to Jairus, who's the synagogue ruler, and so we're back to his story, story three, and says, very sadly, your daughter has died. Jesus goes with them and says she's only asleep. People laugh because they know she's dead, but the parents only. And Jesus, I think, knowing that people don't believe him, that he could heal her, people laugh, and so only the parents, Jesus, Peter, James, and John go in, and Jesus does heal her, and the girl is alive and healed, and the story ends well at the end of Luke 8. So each of these four different stories have an individual or the disciples who called out to Jesus in some sort of desperation. These are similar, but there are four differences as well, and basically the four differences are is that the people are different. If you want to look up front on the screens, you can see it here. They all have different backgrounds. And I think this is important. If you can make the connection, if you want to jump ahead of me, or maybe I'll jump ahead, is that we all have different backgrounds as well. We all have different issues. Everyone who lives has problems and issues and concerns in our lives. But I think Luke 8 and taking this long passage together shows that whatever our differences are, whatever our problems are, we can too Come to Jesus who is alive for us today. The disciples, they have faith. These are the people closest to Jesus, and yet they're still afraid. And if you read carefully, they're afraid first of the storm, and then after Jesus calms the storm, it says they're terrified and amazed. I think they're amazed at the power that Jesus is showing, and they're, they're even like, who is this guy that we're following who can even calm the wind and the waves. The man with demons, he has spiritual problems in his life and the demons in him and himself call out to Jesus uh, and, and say, don't torture me. We might have spiritual problems as well. Maybe they're not as extreme as this man had, but for many of us, even as Christians who come to church on Sunday morning, 
we have questions, we have doubts, we have concerns. Many of those, we might have concerns about Jesus or Scripture or what He's doing in our life or may feel at times guilty that we don't do enough to follow Him. These are spiritual issues in our lives. The synagogue ruler, he is a father. He's a man of means. He's a man, respected man around town. And yet he falls at Jesus' feet because his daughter is dying. For most of us, we've had some, someone close to us who has died or we think perhaps is going to die. And so we can feel, I think, put ourselves in this man's shoes in the story. And the woman, she's been sick for a long time and she just wants to be well. We probably all know someone who has chronic pain, chronic illness, or maybe who has been sick for a long time, and they just want to be well. And maybe that's you here today as well. And you keep praying, and I believe Jesus hears our prayers as well. So whatever our backgrounds are, we all have problems. We all need help. And I would encourage you today to talk to Jesus today, just as Pastor Jerry led us in prayer and as we pray here on Sundays Continue praying, pray at home. Just don't wait until it's desperate, until you're in desperate straits. If you are in desperate straits, call out to him, cry out to him, fall at his feet, either metaphorically or at home. Get down on your knees and pray and ask Jesus to help you. But don't wait, start now. When we were in Egypt on this mission trip, and there were five of us from ZPC, at least a couple of those folks are here in this service today, we prayed a lot. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I had for, from the trip is the power and the importance of prayer. Prayer is incredibly important to every ministry we visited there. And one of my favorite stories was closer to the end of the trip when we visited a ministry in Heliopolis. I like to say that word. I think it kind of sounds like, you know, helicopter or something, but it's Heliopolis. It's just outside of Cairo, and I think Heliopolis, it may have had another name than is actually mentioned in the Bible, which also makes it really cool. So I, I thought that was cool. But we arrived there to this ministry. It was late in the afternoon. We've been traveling. We were in traffic in Cairo, which is a city of about 20 million people. There is always traffic in Cairo. We've been riding on this bus for a long time to get there, and we were late. We had to apologize. But we arrived, and it was this large Presbyterian church in Heliopolis. We went upstairs in this older building to kind of a large Sunday school-looking room, and there were 19 of us. So again, we traveled with Frontier Fellowship, which, which is a mission-sending organization. Five of us from ZPC, 14 other people from other churches, 19 of us all together, and we kind of file into this room and there's about 30 or so people there from Egypt, uh, missionaries and doing ministry, or they, they were members of the church. Most of them only spoke Arabic. Uh, some of them spoke English, so the time we were talking, we had to have interpreters, which I also thought was, was really cool. So um, it, it was great to be there. We were meeting with a group that sends out missionaries to very difficult places, and they're careful about how much they always say. I wrote down in my notes, they sent out people specifically to Sudan, Bahrain, Qatar, Egypt, and I believe Iraq, uh, and some other places as well. Some places that are not very welcoming to Christians, they are doing hard work, and they shared some stories that was even, it's, it's dangerous work that they do. So we all get seated, and the director gets up to talk to us, and he was kind of formal. And out of our group of 19, this helps set the stage a little bit, so 19 of us, six or seven of us were pastors we had the president of Frontier Fellowship, this big mission-sending organization. He was with us. 
We had a lady there who's president, or the next president of the entire Reformed Church in America. It's a denomination out of Michigan here in the U.S. And we had a pastor uh, of a megachurch, this huge church in another city. So the director gets up and he says, I want to welcome you, all of you who have come from the United States to meet with us. We realize it's a lot for you to travel all the way from the United States to meet here in this afternoon, and you've come through traffic this afternoon. We are just so glad you're here. We want to humbly welcome you. We also want to thank you for your support that you send to us as well. And then he says, I'd like to especially thank one person and recognize one person. I'm thinking he's going to recognize you know, the lady that's the head of the denomination or the president of Frontier Fellowship or something. He goes, I'd like to personally thank Philanna Cunningham, and I'm like, yes, ZPC, Philanna, all right, let's go. So yeah, and, and so if you know Philanna, Philanna's a member of our church, and he goes on to say, Philanna is the one that for many years now has faithfully prayed for our ministry, and he says every month she emails people in our ministry, and she asks for at least three prayer requests, and then every month I get reports back that she and her group of five to seven people, that they pray for us every month. And I don't know if some of you are in this group, but I want to thank you. And then he goes on and he says, your prayers are very important. God hears your prayers, and that allows us to do what I do. And I said, man. And so I got to talk to Flanna a little bit. And I go, Flanna, you're the rock star of our group. Flanna, way to go, Flanna. So I was talking to Flanna, and Flanna, you know what this, what this group does, though, and they met actually this past Thursday, and I went for the very first time. They don't do anything flashy. They don't do anything big. They're not doing anything something you or I could do. You know what they do? They gather once a month. Flanna collects prayer requests from all these ministries in the Middle East, and they pray. They pray for about 45 minutes. They meet Thursday mornings right here at ZPC, Philanna's here, she could tell you more about it, I could tell you more about it. 45 minutes, they pray through all the prayer requests of all these ministries that we support, including this one small ministry in Heliopolis, Egypt. Prayer matters. It mattered to the disciples who called out and asked Jesus to help them uh, not to drown. It matters to the man who had demons, the woman who was sick, the man whose daughter was dying, all called out to Jesus, and we too have the power of prayer on our side. We can pray at any time, and to pray for yourselves as the people in this story did, or we can pray for others as the Middle East North Africa group prays for others there in the Middle East. Another story is during, uh, that also talks a little bit about prayer, but other things as well. During the break, uh, as we were meeting with this group in Heliopolis, and we were there three to four hours, I think. It was, we, we met with a lot of ministries, and that was kind of the time period we would typically meet with them. We met a woman during the break as we were having snacks, who I'll call Rebecca. That's not her real name, but I'll call her Rebecca. She's an Egyptian woman. She had a big smile. She only spoke Arabic, so we got to, we got to talk through an interpreter, which was really cool. And we learned that she's a Muslim background believer, meaning that she converted pretty recently from Islam to Christianity. So this really piqued my interest. And then later, uh, the leader of the organization asked her to stand up and give her testimony. So I was super excited to hear about that, and I'd like to share that because it was really touching. She said that she was interested to know about Jesus more from a young age. She always read the Koran. And there are parts in the Quran that talk about Jesus. She was always drawn to those parts in the Quran that talk about Jesus. Now, in Islam, 
Jesus is in the Quran, but he's only a prophet. He's not the son of God. He's not God. So she wanted to learn more about Jesus, and so she asked some friends. And, and so someone from this church lived in the same building and said, you need to go talk to this man at my church, which is in our neighborhood. He runs a Bible study there. Maybe you could join his Bible study. He could tell you about, excuse me, about Jesus. She started going to the Bible study there at the church, and uh, this is around 2018. She came, and over time, this man shared stories about God and about Jesus through the Bible, and she accepted Christ into her life. She had a son who was about nine years old. She said she went home and shared stories about Jesus in his life. Now, I think about the next year, she said she faced many challenges, and here's what happened. When her son was about 10, probably sometime late 2019, her husband realized something was different. She had changed and asked her, was she a Christian? And when she said yes, he was very angry as a Muslim man and he kicked her out of the house, but he kept their son. And he would not let her see her son. She did not see her 10-year-old son for six months. And so she prayed. She prayed she would get to see her son again. Somehow, some way, she wanted to see her son. About six months went by, and then the pandemic hit in March of 2020. Soon thereafter, she found out her son, like kids here in America, couldn't go to school. He was home with his father, and her husband came to her and said, I can't take care of him anymore. He's out of school. You take him back. God answered her prayer, and she got her son back. The story goes on. She and her husband are now divorced. This man is now her ex-husband. Just recently, maybe six or eight weeks ago, um, he's been a little bit kinder to her. And about six weeks ago, he asked Rebecca, now his ex-wife, to pray for him about a business deal that wasn't working well. And so she started. She saw this as an opportunity. She's praying for her ex-husband that, that God would answer her prayer to help this business deal and that it would be a witness to God. About a week before we were there, she said that her husband came back or called her and said the business deal ha had worked. Thank you uh, for your prayers. Rebecca was joyful and kind, and I think I remember correctly, during the story she had tears in her eyes, but she was smiling, and she, she still has difficulties in her life, but she sees and exhibits really the joy of the Lord in her life. We heard time and again that all over the Middle East that God is using visions and dreams, oftentimes a vision or a dream of a man dressed in white that almost always they report to be Jesus. And that's the way Jesus sometimes introdu introduces himself to Muslims in the Middle East. Other times, as in this story, God is having Muslims ask Christians to pray for them. And then when the prayer is answered, it is a way for them to be introduced to Jesus. What would it be like if we prayed more like this, that we said, God, answer the prayer of someone else so that they could know Jesus. Now, this isn't Rebecca. I didn't take a picture of her that day. I was kind of sensitive to the situation. But many, many times we had opportunities to lay hands on and pray for people over and over again, almost every day of the trip. And this was another young lady who's in Christian ministry and she's wanting to do more in Christian ministry. And so these are five of the women of the, of the 19 people from our group that laid hands on her and prayed for her. It's just another beautiful example of the opportunities we had on the trip. Back to Luke and the four stories. They all come from different backgrounds and different needs. Well, what about us? 
Jesus stopped the storm for the disciples. What about the storms in your life? He is with you in your storms. He heals the demon-possessed man. What are the spiritual problems in your life? Can you take those to God? The father and child, when we hurt for someone who, is, who we love, who is hurting or dying, ask God for healing in those situations. He says to ask boldly, to pray boldly. The woman who is sick, we've all been sick. We have others in our lives who have chronic pain or chronic illness or private health issues. Reach out to, Z, to Jesus as she reached out in her life for yourself or someone else. And if you are well, pray. Don't wait till you're desperate. You can join the intercessory prayer group here at ZPC. You can talk to Cynthia Carr about that. They pray on Monday mornings. We can find out more information for you about that or join the Middle East North Africa prayer group that prays once a month on Thursdays. You can ask me or Philana about that. Practice prayer. Pray when times are good. Pray when times are bad. Be steady, stable, and plodding in prayer. Pray without ceasing as you walk around, as you work, and as you drive. And I heard just on Thursday when I was at the Middle East North Africa prayer group that I was reminded that, and, I, and I have, this is the first time I've been to the group, they had been praying for this woman who accepted Christ for about two years. About two years ago, she was part of their prayer request. They had been praying for her, and this is part of the answer prayer, and her life is, is still changing. If you're afraid of uh, things in your life, don't beat yourself up. Go to Jesus. The disciples were afraid in the storm, and even though Jesus asked, where is your faith, they showed enough faith to call out in their time of need. The people in the town were afraid, and when they saw the man with demons was now calm, that Jesus had healed him, and, uh, and they were still afraid. It was probably that they couldn't control Jesus. Maybe they kind of knew the issue they had. This man is out living in the tombs, and he's kind of crazy, but we, we kind of know what he is. But who's this Jesus man who has this incredible power? And so they ask him to leave town. And so don't be afraid. And if you are, if we are afraid, even go to Jesus then. What can we do now? Probably more than anything, during this trip, I had a conviction to pray, uh, and, and I was convicted in a sense, and that word convicted, I think, means conviction. I have a growing conviction in my life to increase my prayer life, uh, personally, for places like the Middle East and North Africa, for you, for the church, and I'm going to give you permission to ask me, hey, Scott, how's your prayer life? Are you increasing in your prayer? But if you ask me, I'm probably going to ask you back as well. So how might we pray? We put these home group questions in the bulletin. If you have one, you could open it to question six. If you do not, that's okay. I would encourage you to listen carefully. Even if you're not in a home group right now, get in one when time opens up for those. Uh, but if not, you can still read the questions when they are in the bulletins. But if you're like, what do I pray for? Who do I, who do I pray for in my life? And what would I pray for them about? Question six says this. This is a way to think about how to pray. If you could breathe free of one thing in your life right now, which would it be? Stress from work, worry about your future, family concerns, spiritual doubts, physical pain, or financial pressure. Think about how we might pray for yourself, what you need from God, and then what others might need as well, maybe along these lines. And then go out this week knowing that Jesus is alive, that he is on the loose, that he is there for us, we can always call on his name. And let's do that again now. Let us pray. 
Father God, we give you thanks that you love us and that you care for us. We give you thanks for the examples here in Luke 8, these four stories which have a lot of similarities, oh God, that people called on your name to pray. And God, they called on your name for help. We even see two people in the stories, God, who were desperate. They said they fall at Jesus' feet. God, we know that we are not physically with Jesus today, but God, we believe that you are the Holy Spirit that fills the sails of our heart, oh God, that you are the Holy Spirit that is with us, in us, that lives in us. Help us then to be bold and to call on your name this week, not only for ourselves, but others in our midst who know that, uh, that we need your help. And then God, when you answer prayers in our lives, help us to see that as more evidence of your being real. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.